0: Thanks for tuning in to Redeeming Grace Bible Church. Here at Redeeming Grace Bible Church, it's our full conviction, as Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.16, that all scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We pray as a result of this sermon, you come to see and know Christ more clearly And if you do not yet know Christ, that you might also come to see him as Lord and Savior." Genesis uh, chapter 2 for us this morning. So if you want to turn to Genesis chapter 2.
1: Genesis 2 starting at verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work And that he had done in creation. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground, and a mist Mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, and in the east, and there he put the tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Fission, and it is the one that flowed around the whole land of Hivala, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good, Delium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is Tigris, which flows east of Assyria, and the fourth river is the Euphrates. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock, and to the birds of the heavens, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him.
2: Thank you, Brock. We once again remember that though the grass withers and though the flower fades, that the word of our God Amen. remains forever. Let us pray as we just ask his help as we consider this passage this morning. With me, please. Father, we come to you again, and Lord, we just give you thanks for your word that you have written down through the means of your servants, Lord, through the ages, but we know that it was the Spirit of God. Uh, working uh, within them, guiding them, directing them, Lord, that this word is living and breathing because it is inspired by you. It is your breathed out word, Lord. And so we pray that we may receive it as such this morning. And as we just consider these um, first pages of the Bible together and the foundations that you put into place, Lord, the origins of our race, Lord, that you would give us uh, understanding and that we would see uh, the wisdom and the beauty Uh, Lord, that you established even in these first pages of your word. And as we consider the the covenant that was made and the implications of that, Lord, that we would not only uh, realize the the impact of of sin and rebellion against you, but also be reminded of the hope that we have, Lord, in your promises, um, despite uh, our own failure as humanity. And we, we thank you for your spirit who is given to convict the world of sin lord to take from christ and to make his words known to us and to reveal christ to us and so i pray lord that we would be receptive to his leading uh, through your word this morning that my words would be uh, lord empowered by your spirit for the good of your people and for the opening of the eyes of the blind lord for the building up and encouragement of the brokenhearted lord for the rebuking of the proud in heart Lord, that you would do all of these things within us, to the praise of Christ our Lord we ask in Jesus' name, amen.
0: You may be seated, thank you. So,
2: last week, uh, David preached for me, uh, obviously, as we were away to my grandmother's funeral in Saskatchewan, and... And so I thought it would be a good point to um, just transition for uh, several weeks as we approach the um, time of year where we celebrate the, the coming of Christ. Um, and, and so we usually step aside from our current study and, and do something uh, around the theme of, of Advent, the coming of Christ. And uh, I recently finished a book by uh, Sam Renahine called the, the Mystery of Christ, His Covenants and His Kingdom and was just a tremendous blessing to me to consider again how god has prepared the way through his covenants for the coming of christ and so i thought we have about uh, five weeks before us uh and so we could look at um, each of those covenants we won't have time for the the covenant with noah so we'll kind of pass over that one but looking at the covenant with with adam um, the covenant with abraham and with moses israel David and then the new covenant and then just wanting to try and trace out uh in a brief fashion how these covenants work together to point us to Christ who is the substance who is the reality and uh you know as perhaps you've gone outside uh in well it's often (laughs) dark uh, at the evening this time of day in the afternoon even and you uh You look up and you see all of the stars in the night sky. It's one of the the things I enjoyed about about winter is the night sky. We often get to see the beauty of the northern lights or the beauty of maybe there's shooting stars or um, just, just the beauty of God's creation. And at first glance, when we look at the stars up in the night sky, it may seem that they are completely random, that there is no order, there is no pattern to them. But the trained eye is able to actually find constellations within the the stars of the heavens and even navigate their location upon the globe based upon the stars in the sky. And it is really an incredible um, skill that that even in ancient times, sailors were able to navigate the seas using the stars of heaven because they had trained their eye and they had learned to use the instruments to, to figure out where they were and to get themselves to... A specific uh, point. Now, certainly if, if I was dependent upon, uh, you know, the navigation by the stars today to find my way, I would be lost instantly. I have a hard time getting through Edmonton without the GPS guiding me. And so even using a basic map uh, for, uh, for my generation is almost a lost skill, sadly. And I think sometimes we look at scripture uh, in the same way. It, it, it seems that we have all of these random stories and, and various accounts and and we have all of these components of scripture, but it doesn't really seem that there is any direct order. Like, how do we make sense of, of the book of Leviticus or, or the, the prophet Jonah and, and, and the writings here in Genesis? How, how do we navigate through all of this to understand the purpose for which God has done it? And I think the, the study of the covenants of God is one of the most glorious keys that are given To help us understand what is going on in any given point of scripture. um, To help us understand the the reality of Christ. And and, and, and understanding his life and his ministry and his work. And and all that has been fulfilled in Christ. And it also helps us understand where we are in this story. Who we are. What role do we play. um, What what are we to to be doing right now. I think the, the study of the covenants of God... Uh, at least in my own life, has been one of the most helpful studies. And so I pray as we work through some of these, though it will be uh, very brief, that it will be an encouragement and a blessing to your soul as well, and will help you um, understand the, the big picture of God's plan of redemption that he has set forward in the pages of Scripture through his covenants. So, first of all, I want to just set into place some, uh, we'll call them foundational blocks that we need to be reminded of as we consider this topic of God's covenants, and then we'll look specifically at the covenant of works, um, the scene in which God established it, and just looking at uh, some questions about this covenant, which we'll be asking about all the covenants, and then we'll look lastly at some implications of this covenant uh, not only for Adam and Eve, but implications for us as well. So first of all, and maybe some of the young folks here can help me with this question, uh, we first have to simply define what is a covenant. And this is uh, one of the questions in the, the kids' catechism. They give a, a very basic answer, but it's a great starting place. Does anybody remember what, uh, what is a covenant? Yeah,
0: sure. A, Go promise.
2: a promise? Thank you. Yeah, that is a, that's a very good summary of it. Um, in the, the, the um, catechism question, it's an agreement between two or more people. So the same idea. It's a promise, and this involves two or more people. And, and at a basic level, that's a, a very helpful definition. And we can add to that a little bit as we look at the pattern of God's covenants in Scripture, that covenants are, are summed up with... I will and you will statements. So they are are agreements between two or more people. And here we're interested specifically in God who establishes these covenants with us as humanity or with specific people. And so they are summed up with I will and you will statements. I will do this and you will do this. And this formulates the covenant. And they are... uh, two primary different forms in which they, they take place. Either the covenant will be established upon the, 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 the one receiving the covenant, uh, will be established upon them obeying the law, obeying the commandment, as we'll see in the case of Adam. Do this and live. So it's a covenant based upon obedience to the law. Or the covenant will be based upon promise. It's more instead of do this and live, it is live live and then do this and and so that's important as we consider this theme as well and we'll we'll be reminded of that as we move forward so covenants are agreements promises between two or more people they're summed up with i will and you will statements another important aspect of covenants is they have sanctions or threats that are built into them that secure the obedience or the fulfilling of that covenant so there are consequences that are spelled out within the covenant if it is broken and that is also true of these covenants and that's also important it's more than just a promise it is also a promise with blessings or threats given um, at the forming of it and so that is also consistent now another um, i guess foundational block of this theme that we need to understand is Covenants are not naturally revealed to man. They're not naturally known to us. So we could say that the, the moral law of God has been really written upon our hearts, even for Adam, but especially before the fall. He would have instinctively known it was wrong to kill his wife, or it was wrong to lie, it was wrong to steal. These things, as an image bearer, are part of us. And of course, in the fall, this is terribly distorted and marred, but this is natural to us. It is consistent with the natural way that God has created all things because it is reflective of him. And so we have to understand that covenants, however, are not that way. They must be revealed to us by God. They must be spelled out and defined and and explained. Otherwise, we would have no knowledge of them. There was nothing natural within the garden or Adam that would have told him, do not eat from the tree of knowledge and good of of evil. If God had not come to him and established this covenant, then there would have been no way for him to, to know that. And it wouldn't have actually been sin for him to eat of it if God did not Prohibit him. There was no natural uh, revelation of it. And that's true with all of the covenants that God establishes. We will see that with with Abraham. It's true with Noah. It's true with David, that this is a unique uh, revealing by God, uh, defining and a spelling out by God. And so that also is very important. And in that sense, each covenant stands on its own, uh, according to the terms and conditions that God established. And so, again, we'll see that more as we move on. So another and final uh, important block, then foundational block with covenants that is very helpful to understand is when we talk about covenants, God always establishes a federal head to that covenant. And this also is very important to understand. That the covenant is established with an individual... And it is with this individual that that it is defined and spelled out. The threats and sanctions are put into place. And therefore, the covenant applies to their offspring specifically. So in order to be a, a, a covenant member, it is not so much about your own individual status, but it is in your connection to the federal head, to the representative of that covenant And that also is very important to understand because when you understand the the federal head of the covenant, who is the one with whom God's established it, then you can understand who does this involve. And we could really broadly summarize the covenants of the Bible into kind of three categories. We have the covenants of creation, covenants that are established with all of creation, all of mankind. The covenant with Adam is one, obviously. Uh, and the covenant with Noah is a covenant with all of creation and with all of Noah's offspring, who is all of us. He stands as sort of a, uh, a second Adam, a, a new Adam, though not the final Adam. So Noah and Adam, uh, their, their covenants connect to all of creation. Obviously, with the covenant with Israel and, and through Moses and then David... This applies specifically to their offspring in Abraham. There's a there's a direct connection to the federal head, and that's what I want you to understand. And of course, this becomes extremely important in the new covenant in Christ. How do we enter into this covenant? Who are the, the members, the partakers of this covenant? Well, it is those who are by faith connected to the federal head, which is Christ. And so for each of these covenants, we need to identify who that federal head is. And then we can understand the, the, uh, the ramifications of it, the, the, d- the definings of it, um, and uh, the implications. So, so each covenant will have a federal head. And this is why sometimes... Those who hold to what can be called covenant theology, which is what we're looking at, um, sometimes it's called federal theology um, because of this idea. And, and I just think it's just uh, so clearly a biblical structure that God has put into place. He works by way of covenant. The covenants are established with a, with a federal head. And that then defines all of those who will be part of it. So why covenants? Why does God do this? Well, of course, we must be careful to question the the ways and motives of God. But we do see that God always relates to humanity by way of covenant. He never relates to us outside of a covenantal context. And that's important. But um, I think that, um, quoting uh, Sam Renahine, had a a helpful uh, statement about covenants. He said, God's covenants delegate dominion. God has supreme dominion over all. All creation is his kingdom. And it's through the covenants that God delegates his authority and establishes these kingdoms. The kingdom of creation. The kingdom of Israel. The kingdom of Christ to which all of the others point. So through covenant, God establishes kingdom and delegates dominion. And so... As we look then at this specific covenant of works together this morning for a few moments, um, we first need to see the the context And Brock read for us from chapter 2, which is sort of zooming in on the sixth day of creation. We have the general picture in chapter 1 of God's creation of all things, uh, from the the plants and the animals to the trees and to the the sun and the light. Um, And then... In chapter 2 we have this zooming in on the sixth day the creation of the man and woman specifically we're given a picture of the context in which they they live and which this is defined and then we are told the nature of the covenant so just very quickly let us consider the scene here of the context of this covenant Adam is created Not in the garden, but outside of the garden. We are told in verse 7, Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And then it's in verse 8 that the Lord God plants a garden in Eden in the east, and there put the man whom he had formed. So you see the picture. Adam is formed from the dust of the earth. He is breathed into the breath of life by God. And after that, God then plants a garden in Eden. And then God places the man in the garden. And he is to tend it. He is to keep it. He is to protect it. And really what we have is a sort of creation temple here. It really does set the, the, the foundations of all the future temple imagery in the Bible. When you think about the, the, the scene, it is up upon a mountain. From this temple, we have the imagery of the rivers flowing out that not only water the garden, but flow out from the garden into the rest of the earth. We have the description of the precious gems and stones that are there in Eden. Eden. Reminiscent of the later tabernacle and temple that was also adorned with gold and precious gems. We have the picture of the two trees, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which actually, as we'll see, become uh, something of covenant signs to Adam in the garden. In many ways, Adam stands as a prophet, priest and king in this garden temple, and he is to keep it he is to tend it he is to protect the word of god he is to maintain the purity and holiness of this temple if you will and he is to his his commission that god gives him is to fill the earth with other image bearers and of course this is where eve comes in adam cannot accomplish these things in and of himself he needs an enabler he needs the 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 helper which the lord will provide for him which is eve Eve is given to to help and enable Adam in the fulfilling of this commission, the keeping and tending of this garden and for the offspring, which would be the the, the image bearers of God filling the earth. You see, the the garden, yes, is a temple, but it was never meant to be the only place in which Adam lived. The picture that we have here is that of, of a man standing in a garden as a prophet, priest, and king and through his offspring, he is supposed to spread the glory of God, the beauty of God. And that is supposed to eventually flow out and fill the entire earth with the goodness of God. That is the picture. And so we immediately begin to see how this translates forward for us in the, the, the years and centuries ahead that will unfold as God reveals The nature of his king and his kingdom. So some questions to answer about this covenant. And I'll try to, when we look at them, um, I think these are important questions to ask. Some of them are terribly obvious. We won't spend a lot of time talking about them. Um, But as we think about the the context here and, and the nature of a covenant... Um, We talked about how it's a commitment between two or more people. God is the one who defines it, initiates it. There are sanctions given or threats. And it will either be based upon promise or based upon obedience to law. And we see when God um, places the man in the garden and gives him instruction in verse 15. He puts Adam in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, some critics will say, well, covenant is never mentioned here in Genesis 2. Why do we talk about a covenant? And I think the reason is simply that all of the necessary components of a covenant are present right here. And uh, we see clearly that God is establishing uh, a law for Adam that he could not have otherwise known. He, he had no natural revelation to say this tree was bad. God tells him this and he, he enters into this covenant with Adam by which he will either receive the blessings of life represented by the tree of life through his obedience to God's command not to eat or the threat is if he does Break God's law. If he breaks God's command. Eats of the tree. Then he will die. And he will receive the consequences. Of breaking it. So the, I think the, the structure is there. And many times this covenant is called. The covenant of works. Because it is based upon. Adam's obedience to the law. Uh, an obedience that he could. By nature give. He Remember it was without sin. He is holy and happy in the garden. He had a will that was truly free. We talk about free will, but we must understand that our wills are are infected by a sinful nature. And so they're always bent towards rebellion against God, always bent towards darkness. Adam's will at this point is truly free from any influence of sin. He is able to do and choose what is right as well as do and choose what is evil. And so... We ask the question: um, Who is the appointed federal head of this covenant? Well, quite clearly, it is Adam. Eve has not yet been created when God established this with Adam. We're told in the next verse that God uh, said it is not uh, that it is not good that the man be alone. So he he puts Adam in the garden. He establishes his word with Adam. He he sets up the perimeters of this covenant, explains it to Adam, and then in verse eighteen we have the helper. The Ezer, which is the Hebrew word for helper here, uh, which is very fascinating that, that, that this word is used. It's not, uh, you know, the, sometimes we think of the woman as the helper. It's, it's not like, you know, dad is, is going to, um, you know, do some fencing or something. And, and I'm taking along my three-year-old to, to hold the, the staples for me while I nail in the wire. That's, you know, a helper of sorts. But that's not the imagery of the word here. It is that of one who is enabling the man to fulfill what God has given him. And it's a beautiful word that, that is often even used of God. We, you know, we sing the song, uh, Here I Raise My Ebenezer, coming from uh, Samuel in uh, 1 Samuel, when, when he was, First um, Samuel 7, when he was delivered uh, from the Philistines by the hand of God. And he said, He set up an Ebenezer, he set up a, a, an altar that God is the stone of, of my help, the the stone of my help. And, and so it's this idea of the helper given to Adam to fulfill this covenant that God has placed him in. But clearly Adam is the federal head. He is the one through which this covenant is mediated. He is to communicate that to his wife and to, to help guard her and protect her in the upholding of it. So the second question then, not only who is the federal head, but who are tied to Adam? Who are his offspring? Who are those that will be affected by this covenant uh, of works well obviously that would be all of us all of mankind comes from adam and eve and you can see why it's so important that we don't allow the critic to make genesis 1 2 and 3 and uh, even the whole book just a matter of Um, You know, cute stories that don't actually have any historical validity. No, this this is based on true historical events. And that's important because we are directly connected to Adam as our federal head. And we still obviously feel the implications of this covenant today. It is something that will continue to be felt until the return of Christ. So we all, as mankind, the race of man, you know there's so much debate about racism today, if people would just realize that we're actually one race, there's not many races, there's one race, and that is the children of Adam. And we are all then affected by what happened in the garden as his offspring. The third question was, is it based upon law or promise and? Clearly the the basis of this covenant is upon law. It's Adam. Do this and live. Fail to do this and die. And that is the basic uh, nature of God's establishment with him. What are the conditions of the covenant? Well, that is also very clear for us. The conditions are simply that he not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. There is one command. And... And people may say, well, was Adam not bound to the what we would refer to as the moral law of God? Uh, he was never given that uh, law in, in, in addition to this one law here. But as I said, I think we can say from um, the fact that even Cain would be punished as a murderer. The the law of God was written upon them in regards to his moral law, but these covenant commands are sometimes referred to as positive laws. They're additional laws. They're given by the unique revelation of God in the context of that covenant. So that's the conditions. Don't eat the tree of the tree, Adam. And the blessing is life. The curse is death. And I think that... um, Again, these are I know it's a very familiar passage to us, but I want you to, to understand the importance of this first covenant that is established here with Adam. So then seeing the covenant established here, obviously we know that in chapter three, they did not keep the covenant that God established through the, the means of the serpent. Eve was deceived. She takes of the forbidden fruit and eats it. She gives to her husband who is with her. So Adam, standing there, uh, should have stomped the head of the serpent in that moment, should have corrected him with the abuse of God's word, but he also failed and humanity falls into sin. Death is brought upon all of humanity. The curses are laid out for us. And we know that the rest of Scripture really uh, records for us not only God's mercy and faithfulness, but a terrible account of man's sinfulness and rebellion and the byproducts of this broken covenant. So, what are the implications for Adam and Eve? Well, as we see, they are kicked out of the garden. They are exiled. Um, Where they were once naked and unashamed, they are now covered in shame and guilt. There is a distancing between them and God. the, The curses are applied upon the woman with pain and childbearing, with friction and contention in the marriage And we know that even for the man, there is now... uh, He will will provide by the sweat of his brow through struggle and toil. He will battle not just physical thistles, but there will be this sense of futility in our work. As a result, the ground is cursed as well. And all of these things come because of this broken covenant. Now, of course, the, the glimmer of hope within that, God doesn't leave them without hope, but he tells them that through the woman will come the offspring one day who will crush the head of the serpent in 3.15 and the serpent will bruise his heel. And we know this is a promise given. It's not directly tied to the, the covenant of works, but is a promise given of hope, of God's grace to the man and the woman. This gospel message that also begins to run through the covenants of God's offer of deliverance through the offspring of the woman and all of that is established right there in the beginning of Genesis so what are the implications for us today of this initial covenant well as we know we are connected to Adam we are his offspring we are born of man and woman the only human not born of man, is the Lord Jesus Christ. And you see why even the virgin birth becomes extremely important. Because if we are connected to the consequences of this first covenant by way of blood, by way of birth, then in order for Christ to be born without sin, he cannot be born of Adam. But he is not born of Adam. He is born of the woman conceived within her by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so Christ can then stand as a new sort of Adam. But it is helpful for us as humanity to understand our connection to Adam and the implications of that. We are born, Paul says, as children of wrath. We are born dead in our trespasses and sins. We have a heart that is naturally bent towards rebellion, towards towards disobedience to God's word. We we naturally are repulsed by the things of God, by the person of Jesus Christ because we have inherited from Adam a sinful nature. And this is true of every tribe, tongue and nation. There is no distinction, Paul says, whether Jew or Gentile. All have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God. And this comes to us from our father Adam. And we really um, uh, act upon this, and ourselves are condemned. And if you just turn for a moment to a couple New Testament passages, so uh, you know you see that what I'm saying is um, what the authors of the New Testament say. In Romans 5, a very famous passage in Romans 5, we see how Paul makes the connection to all of humanity with Adam and the failure to keep the covenant the consequence of death, the consequence of the curse, um, in in Romans 5.10, I'll just pick up there, he is rejoicing in the gospel, the the work that Christ has done, and contrasts that with Adam. So Romans 5.10, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one to come. So Paul clearly connects the reality of humanity's brokenness, of death, of our suffering. He connects it right back to our linkage to Adam as our federal head. We are born in this and death has come through Adam, the one man the federal head of this covenant of works and as a result of that we sin we we act according to this nature and so no one can say on judgment day well it's not my fault i i i just you know had no choice i only did what was my nature well you see we we become uh, duly guilty as we ourselves with our own will and volition choose to disobey god And violate his law. And so we're really duly condemned in that sense. Not only according to our, our federal head, Adam, but also according to our own rebellion and sin. And many times people struggle with the idea that God would condemn humanity. Possibly, you know, even we think of people who maybe don't have an opportunity to to hear the gospel and we would say, well, how is it fair that God would ever condemn, you know, a, a tribal people who've never heard the gospel to hell? How is that just? And you see, the answer to that problem is, is in Adam. That there's a sense in which our initial decision whether to receive of God or to reject God it was made in Adam as our federal head. And we are connected to him and share in the consequences of that. And, and this is the nature of covenant. We are brought into it. And we then must receive the consequences along with Adam. And in that sense, no man is born neutral in God's plan of redemption, no man is born without any prior inclination to either run towards God or run away from God. We are all born with a desire to flee from God and to turn from his word and from his Christ. Now one other um, New Testament passage, I just want to turn to uh, 1 Corinthians 15 Because Paul again does the same thing in 1 Corinthians 15 in linking this covenant with Adam. Adam is our federal head in helping us understand ourselves, but then also understanding how this becomes good news in Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15, and I'll pick up at verse uh, 42. So is it with the resurrection of the dead... of the man of heaven and do you see what paul is saying he's saying on the one hand we feel our weakness we feel this horrible enemy which is death and this has come to us from adam we have inherited it from him like him we are made of the dust in weakness and this body will perish because we are caught up in the consequences of Adam's sin. And this is true of all mankind. All men will taste the reality of death. Unless the Lord returns within their lifetime. And they are immediately transfigured. In the twinkling of an eye. But Paul is saying. This is, this is the reality of where we are. As mankind. Connected to our father Adam. The man of the earth. But the glorious Reality: The good news of the covenant of works, then, though it is broken in Adam and we have no hope of life through our obedience to the law. The good news is that it sets up the pattern, the type, Paul says, for Christ to come as a new federal head, a new uh, um, a new head of a new covenant that we can then be connected to the blessings of his obedience, of, to the blessings of his life by faith. So in Adam, we see the structure of, of the federal head is to our detriment. But in Christ, it is to our everlasting glory and, and, and joy. Because if we have turned from the inheritance of Adam, if we have... Confessed our own sin and our own rebellion against God, and we have turned to Christ by faith, trusting in what He has done, His perfect obedience, His death, His resurrection. If we have been crucified to Adam and raised by faith in Jesus Christ, then we are then joined to Him, Paul says, as a new Adam, a new federal head, and we will forever share in the blessings of the new covenant. And this is how it becomes. Good news for us who are in Christ. But for you who remain in Adam, I pray that you would receive the invitation that is open now to turn from this this worthless inheritance that Adam has given, turn from your own rebellion and sin and flee to Christ who is the only hope, the only mediator between God and man. Enter into the blessings of Christ As our new Adam. And we have opportunity this morning to come to the Lord's table. And what's interesting is in the garden, God established these two trees that would stand there almost as sacraments, if you will, of that first covenant. As symbols of the covenant. On the one hand, the tree of life is there. If Adam would obey, if he would keep God's word, he would enjoy the benefits of eternal life, of everlasting life in God's presence and in a world filled with the glory of God. But the tree of knowledge of good and evil stands as a reminder to Adam that if he breaks the covenant promise, then he will receive death. And it's interesting, that same imagery of the tree is picked up in the tabernacle, in the temple. We have the the lampstands of God that were put in the temple. We have this lampstand that is, when you read the description, it actually is to be shaped like a tree with the leaves on the golden lampstand standing in the temple. A reminder, it's this garden-like picture of the temple through which man can again enjoy the presence of God. And we'll look at that in the days to come. But in the new covenant, we do not have two trees, but we have bread and a cup. The body broken and the blood shed. These covenant signs of what Christ has established as our new Adam. And so we come, not that we would not that we would gain some sort of merit through the, the bread or the cup immediately but that we would be feeding upon Christ who is our head. They are physical pictures and reminders and means of grace that we would see Christ and feed upon Him and be washed in the blood of the Lamb, that from His life we also find life. And so let us pray this morning there. We'll close and then we will partake of the Lord's table together. Bow with me, please. Lord, we come to you and just... uh, Lord, realize that Lord, your designs, your your plan is is so infinitely higher than our own thinking. And Lord, that we marvel at the, the intricacies of these things, Lord, the, the covenants that you've established and how you had already set into motion a plan of redemption for humanity. Lord, that you alone are the, the master artist, the Lord, the, the master composer who has written this song that is even now being played out and it is written with such detail and beauty. And Lord, we, we marvel at the fact that you have invited us to come and to, Lord, enjoy the benefits of a new Adam in Christ through his blood and through his body broken. So, Father, I pray as we partake of the, the bread and the cup that we would do so with joy in our hearts, with assurance of a new identity as his people. And Lord, even as we live out our days still feeling the uh, effects of the, the fall, Lord, that we would, even in those times of weakness and struggle, uh, allow it to drive us to you, Lord, who is our God and our Redeemer. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Thank you for tuning in to this sermon preached at Redeeming Grace Bible Church. If you'd like to find out more about Redeeming Grace Bible Church or find other sermons and resources, please visit us online at www.redeeminggracechurch.ca. We pray that the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. That the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.